0: On this week's show, the XFL's third week is in the books, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be adding another name to their ring of honor later this year.
1: In this week's history lesson, we wrap up our celebration of Black History Month with the story of a future president and his college teammate. That and
0: much more this week in the world of football.
1: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of This Week in the World of Football. This is episode 133 for February 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Randy Snow, and across the table from me is somebody who's trying to make me laugh and mess yep. things up, my son, Adam. Did I, did I do a good job? <laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of. <laughs> yeah, you'll
0: hear it at the end of the episode. We're going to keep that in.
1: jeez. Oh, we come to you each week from the World of Football Man Cave, located right here in the center of the football world, Kalamazoo, Michigan. We're here to promote the game of football in all its many forms, past, present, and future. By covering all aspects of the football world, we're able to offer our listeners a unique assortment of football-related news, stories, information, and more that you just won't find anywhere else. From the NFL to the CFL to the XFL, college, high school, and indoor football, we inform and entertain our listeners with the glorious buffet that is the world of football. All this while keeping a close eye on the rich history of the game. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on one of our many platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also connect with us on our Facebook and Twitter pages at TWOFKalamazoo or send us an email. Our email address is info at so let's review what happened this past week, starting with Adam and the World of Football scoreboard.
0: That's correct. We have week three of the XFL, where the X does not stand for extreme anymore, mm. but just stands for excellent football. Because <laughs> we had an excellent game on Saturday between the Houston Roughnecks defeating the Tampa Bay Vipers 34-27. to This game was tied up at halftime at 18 apiece. Tampa Bay ended up scoring their first offensive touchdown of the season, which was one of the highlights of this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And from what we saw of this game, and I watched very little of this because I was uh, out of town for Mm -hmm. most of the evening, but it looked like a very good back-and-forth game, especially a heck of an outing from the now 0-3 Tampa Bay Vipers. They don't look like um, the bad team we were making them out to be. They definitely gave uh, the Roughnecks, who are – Pretty much being considered the best team in the league to run for their money,
1: they're looking that way right now. And when you have the
0: maybe the best team playing the worst team, and this is the kind of football game you get, it's Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, sure some of the scores will vary, uh, and uh, but I think this goes to show you the level of parity there could be in this league, and that you know, Houston might be the hot team right now, but maybe if you give Tampa Bay a week or two to fine tune some things, and we'll talk about another team in a minute that fine tunes some things uh, that you know your season can turn around in a minute. Tampa Bay did play very well in this game. And it was their uh, first home game, too, and a heck yep. of a, a nice outing for them. Yep. And, you know, uh, but on the other side of the ball, you can't ignore Houston with wide receiver Cam Phillips, who did have three touchdown catches during this game. Yep, uh, Heck of a, a team, this Houston team, and especially with P.J. Walker, the quarterback, who I guess we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but, I mean, he was one of the stat leaders of the weekend, and mm-hmm. we'll go a little more in-depth on his weekend but impressive, just all around for this yeah. Houston Roughnecks team.
1: Yeah, this is PJ Walker, he's uh, he's becoming a real star in this league. He's had some really good games this year, uh, some really nice highlights, and I'll bet you that he's uh, being seriously looked at by
0: some NFL teams. I right feel now. like a couple of these guys will be looked at by oh, NFL yeah. teams. Yep. there's some good
1: talent in this league.
0: Yep. All right, moving on. The uh, second Saturday game saw the Dallas Renegades defeat the Seattle Dragons twenty-four to twelve. Seattle was up in this game twelve to six, but Uh, Thanks to Dallas, the 18 unanswered points in the second half uh, gave them the victory. There were 22,000 fans in attendance for this one. And you made note, and I missed this. I had to watch the highlight later. But (laughs) Dallas had what is now known as the turnover mask, Mm -hmm. which you um, made note that it was the ski mask. I'm
1: calling it the ski mask because it's the kind of thing you wear here in Michigan when you're out with a snow thrower cleaning out your driveway at 4 a.m. so you (laughs) can get to work early. But yeah, it's just it's just a regular you know ski mask or maybe something like uh, uh you might wear out hunting you know when you're when you're in a deer blind or something it's just something anybody can pick up at the you know at at a store anywhere yeah it looked it looked ridiculous but hey you know whatever
0: yeah a lot of uh, stuff happened this week in the XFL which is I think big for the league we also had in this game. The double forward pass was, I mean, they've had one before in the league, but it wasn't as, I don't know, as prominent as I guess this highlight was. Uh, and then, obviously, Seattle being shut out in the second half was big. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, heck of a you know turnaround for Dallas. They started off looking really rough that first game. And like we said uh, with the previous game, you'll know, give teams some time to get their footing and they can turn things around in a minute. Speaking of turning things around, the St. Louis Battlehawks got their first home game of the season against the New York Guardians where they blew them up 29 to 9. St. Louis was up 23 to 3 at halftime, so that second half was not so exciting. But with this being the first home game in St. Louis and of the first football game in St. Louis since the Rams departure in 2015, the Battlehawks uh you know just had a heck of a showing the fan base showed oh, the fan, up yeah the fans were there it was they were loving a it. a heck of a scene and to see that whole lower bowl of that stadium filled up made me almost wonder if they could have filled out a little bit more for that first game in St. i think Louis. they
1: could have yeah i i, don't, I mean i don't know what uh, what the demand was for tickets but i think they easily could open up some of those uh, upper uh, uh balcony sections and uh, and sell more tickets
0: but I, I mean, you wrote, uh, let's see, what was the final attendance for this game? Did we...
1: 29,554.
0: Okay, yeah, and I did predict last week that this would be the record-breaking crowd. Uh, you did. And I was thank you to the 400 people that helped <laughs> me push that prediction... Yeah, Seattle you know, fruition.
1: Seattle last week had the record of uh, 29,172. So, yeah, about 400 more people yeah. in St. Louis for this so game. So, thank you,
0: 400 people. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this game had a lot of stuff, too, for, you know, big first for the new iteration of the XFL. The Battlehawks had the first kickoff return for a touchdown, which was a heck of a play. That was awesome. Uh, then St. Louis also booted a 58-yard field goal, which was, outstanding and yeah. you you failed to notice that earlier in the game new york had a 53 yard field goal, yeah i didn't which look until later on equally I saw as stashes. good but i mean that new uh that st louis one, the 58 yarder was by the skin of its teeth just yeah. over that crossbar it
1: made it, it was nice and straight but yeah. it, i wasn't sure how how far it was but yeah it barely made it but it did yep. <laughs> it did make it
0: so congrats battle hawks they've turned things around and the guardians who we thought maybe at the beginning of the year started off really hot have really fizzled out the last couple of weeks there's been a lot of a lot of tempers on that end of the yeah that side it of those.
1: it was really chippy yeah, early in the game. I mean, yeah. uh, they both teams were on, York, the, on the verge of getting in fights. Yeah,
0: and... I don't know what it is. I'm pulling for New York, but whatever. For whatever reason, they were having guys who were nearly ejected all game long. Mm-hmm. The referees constantly tell them, "Like you, you were one thing away from being kicked out of this game." Yeah. So yeah, New York's got a lot of issues to work through. We'll see if they can turn things around there. Well,
1: you know, they started out one and zero. Maybe they thought, you know, that they were going to be, you know, the, the class. I thought the league they looked a little and...
0: bit more impressive than I, I expected going into the season. But yeah, the last two weeks they have not looked good at all. Right, yeah. Not even the same team, but. And then in the final game, how about this team, the L.A. Wildcats, who started off 0-2 against the 2-0 D.C. Defenders, uh, saw the Wildcats coming out with that victory, 39-9. to mm. A very big, shocking development here. But this is that turnaround we're talking about. The Wildcats yeah. slowly got things put together, and they looked like a heck of a team on Sunday. Uh, the L.A. Wildcats were up yeah, 27-3 to at halftime. It's the first win for L.A., The first loss for D.C., and this was also the first onside kick in the XFL this week. So, like I said, so many firsts this week.
1: Yeah, we we had not seen an onside kick before. I didn't know how that was going to work. and evidently like a normal NFL. Yeah, they just said, we want to do an onside kick. So now they lined up differently from what they normally do, and everybody knew it was coming. Of course, it didn't work. But, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good things uh, going on in the league. You know, L.A. has not played bad the last couple no, of weeks on the road. Yeah. Two weeks on the road, and uh, they've uh, had
0: flashes of greatness, like yep. with especially throwing to that wide receiver Spruce they got. Yep. Uh, I mean, he was kind of held in check for most of the game, but right. I mean, Josh Johnson uh, showing why he's he was very well sought out. Uh, mm. You know, the Lions were trying to get him when he signed with the XFL. Right. Obviously, didn't happen. But he was also in the AAF. He was, like, the number one pick. But then, obviously, he went to the Redskins. So he's definitely NFL talent. Uh, but so he's, he's definitely showcasing that. Yeah. All right. That's it for the scoreboard this week. I uh, want to go
1: back to the Dallas game for just oh. a second. We, we, you talked about the double forward pass yeah. in that game. That was actually um, – a, a pass that was blocked at the line of scrimmage yeah. and it wound up back in the hands of the of the quarterback so he caught his own deflected pass I was waiting for the, To mention that when yeah. we were
0: in the Dallas game
1: and then he he ran around and found a receiver and so he threw it a second time so that that's to me that's the definition of a double forward pass not not the the little shovel pass to a to a wide receiver that's you know running along the line of scrimmage and then he throws a pass or something but this to me is a true forward pass you know double forward pass where he throws it once it got blocked he picked it up and he ran around and he threw it again Mm. that that to me is what this league's all about that's a good rule i don't see why the nfl doesn't pick that up because it just makes sense okay it got blocked but
0: you know right let it go yeah definitely ended up with a you know Good result there. Yep. All right. So yes, now that is it for the scoreboard. We're going to move into the standings. We'll let uh, you take the East standings that we okay. have.
1: Uh, in the East, it's DC and St. Louis with a two and one record. New York has a one and two record, and the only winless team so far in the XFL is Tampa Bay at zero and three.
0: And in the West, your only undefeated team is that Houston Roughnecks team we started talking about, followed by the two and one Dallas Renegades. Then in the bottom of the division, the Seattle Dragons and the LA Wildcats are both at one and two, so one undefeated, one unbeaten, yep. or one unbeaten and one uh, winless. winless team. So, uh, still anybody's league. Obviously, sure. yeah, it's a, sure. what a ten-week season. Yep, so, it's short.
1: So they, get, if they're going to make a turnaround, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, Tampa's got to start uh, uh, doing some things but quickly. It's, but it's
0: very evident that I mean, I think the talent dis- disparity is not as great as. Right. Maybe what odds makers would have thought. But, I mean, Houston obviously does look it un- until yeah. they don't. So, as of right now, I'd say Houston is your cream of the crop. But everybody else, despite being either 2-1 and one or 0-3, oh there's uh, uh, definitely not a whole margin of difference between a lot not of them. I'm sure their games- records are, are vastly different, but... I feel like the talent is all pretty much even.
1: All these games have been fairly competitive. Sure, some teams have been, you know, one team got shut out. uh, A couple other teams, you know, didn't even score in double digits and lost. But but still, uh, the play on the field has been really good uh, for the most part and uh, very entertaining.
0: Decent enough to where I think I'm not hearing a lot about it uh, nationally if they're still covering it like the way when it first came out. You know, it's not novelty anymore. It's Mm -hmm. three weeks in, and we'll see how much longer it can sustain. But it's still getting big crowds. You're... I just saw on our local sports talk they had a topic yesterday where they were maybe wondering if Detroit could get a franchise. So clearly, there's at least something in this league that's mm. probably going to have some staying power, and is already generating like, oh, is our city good enough to maybe get one of these spring football teams, or, yeah. or, or, or is our NFL team so bad that maybe we'll they'll feel bad for us and we'll get an XFL <laughs> team? So maybe we'll have a good you know good team around.
1: Well, last week, you know, I mentioned that in our local Kalamazoo newspaper they had the XFL standings. Well, on the local Kalamazoo TV station the other night, I didn't tell you this—they actually showed a highlight from the XFL. A game. highlight, one highlight. Right, and that was the one where the the Ooh. little girl had the sign that said, "I'll trade an XFL football for a box of yeah, Girl Scout did cookies." Yeah, how we that? That was a good. Yeah, that was a great. But they showed that on the local sports report, and uh, that was that was so cool. It was a lot of fun, and yeah. uh, you know, got them some attention. So. Good for them.
0: Yep, and then you like to talk about the XFL stat leaders, and we mentioned earlier P.J. Walker. He was 24 of 36 during the game, 306 yards, three touchdown passes. I mean, heck of an effort. Yep. Uh, that's NFL caliber-type numbers and efficiency right there. Yep. Then how about uh, Houston's wide receiver, Cam Phillips? We talked about earlier. He had the three touchdown catches, but eight receptions for 194 yards. Yep. Unbelievable in that game. then you had running back Matt Jones for St. Louis, who had 15 rushes for 95 yards and a touchdown. But I think the player of the weekend has to be Martez Carter from the Los Angeles Wildcats. He had 11 rushes for 34 yards and two touchdowns. But he also had a couple of good catches, too, for touchdowns. Mm. Uh, i'm not sure if that adds into that because he was in the end zone quite a bit
1: yeah and he was he was doing backflips i mean he did a front flip on his first rushing touchdown into the end zone and uh, uh the girl reporter on the sideline was talking to him after that and uh, uh she said that he's known for you know he can do a backflip and she said are we going to see that and he says if i get in the end zone again you'll see it and he did he got in the end zone again and and he, he had a couple of flips. That, that the-
0: first flip, which was like running to the end zone, he flipped over a guy to get into the end zone. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the actual touchdown celebration flip right. was equally as impressive.
1: Yeah, he was he was fun to interview on the side sidelines. He he was, if nothing else, the personality of the weekend uh, for the interviews oh, yeah. that he gave and, and the way he played on the field. So, yeah, he was a lot of fun to I watch. I think that's not, the
0: kind of stuff that the XFL needs. Like, he's not going to be he-hate-me, but right. uh, definitely these are the kind of personalities we want to see and develop and follow uh, for the next seven weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, not a lot of rushing yards for him. You know, 11 carries, 34 yeah, yards. Yeah, didn't
0: give it to him like that, but when it came time to get close to the end zone, he was Mr. Go-To. Yep, so. excellent. All right, what else you got?
1: Uh, Carolina Panthers tight end and current Fox XFL commentator Greg Olson signs a one-year contract with the seattle seahawks worth seven million dollars so i thought that was kind of cool and they in fact i think he was working with um uh, who, who's the guy from menefee Kurt menefee Kurt yes he was on the broadcast crew with him and uh when the broadcast started he said something like and now my partner the latest uh member of the seattle seahawks yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of cool you know he's uh, uh he's playing in the nfl but he's calling
0: xfl games and doing a nice job i thought Oh yeah, Greg Olson was great. He even filled in like on one of his bye weeks uh playing with the Panthers a couple years ago and he I think he'll be a great uh, broadcast personality mm-hmm. once. You know, I mean he's got his feet wet with the X F L. Yeah. He's got maybe another year or two in him in the NFL, so once that's up, I think he's got a Fox has pretty much given him a spot. So like, sure. hey, when you're ready to come to the broadcast sure. booth, come do X F L in the spring and I then I think he's proved himself. Yeah, and I'm I'm liking him quite a bit. Maybe not Tony Romo level, but I'm liking sure. whenever I hear him on the broadcast. I like a lot of the the stuff he, you know, talks about and mm. just his personality, I like it a lot.
1: Yeah, and good for him for uh, for working on his post uh, NFL career. You know, a lot of these guys they play and they play, and once that's done, they don't know what to do with themselves. They they have not planned for what comes after football.
0: And for some guys, this comes naturally. he's oh, yeah. clearly one of those athletes yep. that it comes naturally to, you know, break down a game like, mm-hmm. as it's happening and give you the kind of insight you want as a viewer. Of the football product and i think he has done a really good job and he seems really into the xfl and the product that it's putting on the field right now so i think that is a huge uh, plus for the xfl to have a guy like that sure it's fox and you're already getting the the big coverage you're getting kurt Menefee mm-hmm. or Menefee, how you pronounce his yeah. last name Menefee. doing the game too and i'm just like they're getting grade a talent to do all these games and I'm loving it, and Yeah, I think doing, that's great for the XFL. All and, the
1: networks are doing a nice job of covering the, these games too. They're, yeah. they're not uh, uh, sc- scripting on anything. They you know, All the graphics are there, and, and uh, the talent is there. It's really good.
0: And did, did you notice this week it did, did seem like the uh, sideline reporters maybe pulled back just maybe just a hair on some of the interviewing guys as, as soon as a bad play happened. True. But I mean, they're still doing some dumb stuff. Like it was uh, the quarterback for the – DC Defenders. Uh,
1: oh yes, he was.
0: Yeah, he was warming up. He was warming up for the second half, and, and, and the... the reporters trying to get in there and get an interview with him. It's like just let the guy warm up. Like, yeah, they they still got to learn the time and the place. But I feel like a lot of the oh, he just threw an interception. Let's go bug him on the sidelines. Yeah. So it might have been pulled back just a little bit. but
1: And, of course, you know they talk to the coaches uh, during the game. It's like at least once a half they, they pull the coach aside. That I'm and... getting tired of. Yeah, but While I mean – While they got the
0: headset on, they're trying to get a play, and they're like, look, I can't talk right now. I'm trying to coach my offense. But I think
1: the coaches and the players knew this going into the XFL, that that's what they wanted to do. They wanted this access, access. and so it, it – impresses me that the, some of these players and the coaches have uh, really con- con- controlled themselves yes have tolerated uh, these things because they know it's coming it may be at a bad time for them you know you're trying to you're trying to win a game you're right. trying to get your your play set and all of a sudden somebody's sticking a, a microphone in your face and asking you sometimes a stupid question. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, what
0: was going through your head when you got intercepted? Oh, well, gee, I wish I wouldn't have gotten <laughs> intercepted. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But, okay, I think that's the negative. They need to stop that. But I would like to see more of And what I liked was they went to, um, in halftime, they went to one of the offensive coordinators, and I want to say it was for the – Oh, uh, yeah, for St. Louis. It was for St. Louis, Long. for the Battle Hawks. Yeah, so Chuck Long came in with a whiteboard, and he pretty much drew up a play. And I like that. If you had a pre-setup with every coach – You know, like, hey, at halftime we're going to come to you and the whiteboard will be ready. Why don't you just draw us through a play? Mm. Great. That's the kind of insight fans would want. I I don't think he did anything super elaborate. He pretty much just showed you a bunch of post routes. Right. But outside of that, I'm like, you know what? If you actually gave him a little more time to prep something, like, look, here's this kind of route. This is what you do, blah, 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 blah. And the fan feels smarter for watching it. I think that's a big plus that they could do more of as opposed to, you just uh, had four butt fumbles in that half. <laughs> How do you feel? You know, less of that, more of whiteboard. Yeah, and, and yeah, I can I can understand them uh,
1: interviewing somebody uh, at halftime. I say leave the head coach alone in the locker room at halftime. I say
0: leave the head coach alone during the game.
1: Well, that that too. I'm tired of I mean, him
0: being on the headset trying to call his offense. and He's got to tell him like, look, I'm calling offense. Leave me alone. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's. Uh,
1: but i can see you know in the locker room maybe maybe getting one of the players uh, you know you're not on the field it's not during during the height of the game you're in the locker room okay grab a player get a get a comment or two about something that happened in the first half grab your offensive coordinator or something and say hey you know what are you going to do to counteract what this other team's doing the, you know right. right now those are fine but man yeah, some of the uh, sideline stuff is Getting a little. Irritating. I know, like
0: I said, I think this is a whole process. We got seven more weeks of them tweaking their their formula. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: Yep. And uh, speaking of the DC Defenders, uh, one of their footballs is on display at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, the football used in the opening kickoff of the very first game of the XFL has been sent to Canton, and they have it on display there. So I I like that, but I think it's kind of strange that the that the NFL. I mean, yeah, it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but it's run by the NFL, so. Um, they've got their hands into everything. So I'm a little surprised that they're giving any kind of uh, um, nod to the XFL at all at the Pro yeah. Football Hall of Fame. But but I like that. That's To me, that's what the Pro Com- Football Hall of Fame is when for. When your Pro
0: Football Hall of Fame commissioner is David Baker, former Arena Football League commissioner, sure. he's going to probably be more apt to be open to some of these yes. That's why you have a USFL display at the mm. Hall of Fame. That's yep. why you're going to get maybe some XFL stuff at the, sure. at the Hall of Fame. So I'm fine with that, and I think David Baker uh, – was one of the best commissioners I've ever seen and I think the way he operated the arena League worked and the way he's running the Hall of Fame is uh, I think he's getting a lot of attention too mm-hmm. so yep all right that's it for XFL it looks like
1: yep uh, we're gonna move on to some NFL news uh the Redskins Washington Redskins have picked up the option on running back Adrian Peterson for the 2020 season uh, does this guy have anything left in the tank? Evidently, uh, they think so. Evidently,
0: you'd think, and I mean, he's always been kind of a workout machine. He's the same athlete who's come back from a uh, ACL injury that yeah. people say that he you know take years to get back from, and he came back in no time and proved mm-hmm. a lot of people wrong. So, evidently, he's got something left in the tank. Is it another thousand yard season? I doubt it. But if he could still be a productive, you know, uh, one two punch with another running back, whoever they got in Washington, he could end up like a Frank Gore. I mean, Frank Gore's been mm-hmm. around. Almost twenty years now, yeah. uh, being a you know complimentary running back and in, in in this league of no more feature backs. So, yeah.
1: well, uh, you know Adrian Peterson was just one more uh, big name free agent on that list. You know of all the quarterbacks and, and other people that you know possibly could wind up with a different team. Uh, last week we heard that uh, Drew Brees is going to stay in Saint Louis. Er,
0: yeah, stay in uh new orleans new orleans, new orleans. Yeah.
1: and uh so now we've got adrian adrian peterson off that list and he's going to stay in washington so we'll we'll see we'll keep an eye on some of the other big name free agents as right. the offseason and, goes and
0: one just got put onto the free agent pile and that's the uh, lion defensive uh defensive uh tackle uh snacks harrison mm, yep uh who was a ca- cap casualty it sounds like yeah so we'll see where he ends up i mean he was one of the best run stoppers in the nfl and Who knows if he's got anything left in the tank, and that's why the Lions parted ways with him.
1: Yeah, we'll see on that. Uh, Another NFL story, Monty Kiffin uh, is going to be the 14th person inducted into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' Ring of Honor. Uh, he was the Bucks' defensive coordinator for 13 seasons from 1996 to 2008 under head coaches Tony Dungy and John Gruden, and he won a Super Bowl while he was there with the Buccaneers. Uh, no date's been set yet for that ceremony because the NFL schedule has not come out yet, so they don't know when and where, but that will take place. Well, it'll,
0: it'll take place in Tampa Bay.
1: <laughs> well, yes, but I, we don't know the date or who they're going to be playing against yet at the time. But, yeah, he's the father of Lane Kiffin, who is the uh, University of Mississippi head coach and has uh, spent some time in the NFL. So, um, uh, one one more NFL story. This was on just last night on NFL Network. They had a show called uh, NFL 360. I am familiar. And it was all about Fritz Pollard. Okay. This was an excellent show. Uh, I only got to see the first hour, so I I taped it, so I've got to watch the last half hour. And... um, Oh, who's the guy from Good Morning Football used to be the uh, player for the Lions? Oh, uh, that's Nate Burleson. Nate Burleson, yes. He was going around to a bunch of locations talking to people about Fritz Pollard. Uh, he talked to Art Shell, the uh, uh, head coach of the Raiders, which for a long time people thought that he was the first black head coach, but Art Shell knew about Fritz Pollard in 1920 and 21 uh, uh, being uh, the head coach of that team. And uh, so he was you know, always correcting people that I'm not the first, I'm the second because fritz pollard was the first and so it was a very fascinating uh, show i've done some reading on fritz pollard a uh, fascinating story um it was really good so i, I need to finish that up and if you want to watch it it's on my dvr but yeah i'm sure you'll be playing quite a bit uh uh on nfl network but really really good show uh, nfl network uh well I, and i'm sure it was produced by nfl films but right. uh, it was very good i i can't recommend it enough it was a really good show uh, moving on to some CFL news, uh, CFL commissioner, Randy Ambrosi uh, is on his annual tour across Canada to, you know, visiting all the CFL cities. And he's talking about several different things. And one of them is the proposed playoff format change. And I printed this off. Um, and, and you mentioned quote, this, yeah, you mentioned this, that, uh, major league baseball is thinking about doing something similar. And we but,
0: just, I mean, we didn't talk about it, but the NFL CBA that's in negotiation, there's talk of, uh. That playoff format being changed from six teams to seven teams, right? And
1: yeah. Well, I don't think the we haven't talked about the NFL CBA because – until anything's concrete. Yeah. I,
0: it's probably not worth you yeah, know the, the owners have over
1: agreed it. to it, but I don't until think until the, the players agree will, to it, then yeah, it's and not. Then we'll news go in more me. in depth on that. So we don't want to talk about that. But this is something that the CFL is pr- proposing. Um, uh, the the winners of the East and the West up in Canada uh, will have a bye. And then after the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth teams play each other in the playoffs, the number one seed in each of those divisions is going to get to pick who they want to play in the playoffs. It's not going to be you know they take the the team with the second best record or with the last rec- you know worst record. And I don't I don't care for this at all. Um, letting a team pick who they want to play, um, just stick with the format that you've got. Um, even if they make this change, they say they're going to only do this for a limited time and it's going to be only until the Halifax team comes into the league, which right now is supposed to be right around 2023. So they might do it for, you know, a couple of years, two years, maybe three years. I don't know. And I don't know if that's going to start this year or not, but it just, it doesn't make any sense to, to let somebody pick who they want to play in the first round of the playoffs. Or I don't know. It just, it just
0: adds a little more, uh, I think to you want to win, you want to get first place in your division. So you or in your yeah in your division, just so you can have that power to be like you know what, I want to play the terrible team and you know move you know advance.
1: Well, normally that's that's basically who they do play. So they, th- they do so play the worst it, team.
0: You're you're getting upset about something that I think is gonna. But if you
1: choose to play the tougher team and get them out of the way right now, then once it gets to the uh, gray cup, you you could be. Playing against a Patsy if the other division does the same thing, just leave it alone. I, I think I, don't I think like you're it.
0: overthinking it, and I. It sounds a little weird, and uh, but I think adding a little value to getting first place, and yeah, sure you get a buy and a home game, and we'll give you this added bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, might add a little more. You know, to the regular season, you know, a little more stakes. You know, so let it play out first. I think you can't. It sounds weird and goofy on paper, but <laughs> yes, I think until does. you see it, you know, kind of played out, you know, keep a little bit of uh judgment set aside. An open mind, you keep know that's not
1: mind. me. I know. You know what a steel trap my mind is? Uh, <laughs> I don't like change. Rusty and uh <laughs> I don't oftentimes
0: like needs lubrication to work.
1: <sighs> I don't like change. Uh another thing that uh Commissioner Ambrose is talking about is uh Having the Grey Cup and the Vanier Cup both played uh, in Hamilton in 2021, and I love this idea. They did it a few years ago. I don't know if if it was in Hamilton or what, but a few years ago they did have you know the Grey Cup game was on Sunday, the Vanier Cup, the, the College Football National Championship was on Saturday. You got all these fans. You you can get tickets to both games. You can fill that stadium up and and really have a, a hell of a weekend for you know college and Pro football, you get two championship games right, right it, there. It'd in your almost home be stadium. equal to
0: the the Super Bowl and the College National Championship. Yeah, play the same place during the weekend. Right, you know, it's, it's a great idea. And, I
1: don't know. know why they don't do that all the time, but you know, the last couple of years, you know, the the uh, Grey Cup's been in one city, and the and the Vanier Cup's been in another city. Um, but I like the idea of having them both the same weekend in the same stadium, and. They're gonna do it um they're, they're talking about doing it in twenty twenty one and possibly a few more after that, so I think that that I think is a great
0: idea, yeah, I like that.
1: take that one and leave the other idea about uh letting the first seed pick their opponents uh, leave that on the table under the table actually, hmm. okay, uh, that's it for the different nooses that we had nooses wow that yeah, <laughs> and if I NFL was like news, very NFL interesting news. word choice. <laughs> All right, uh, we do have one obituary this week. Uh, this is where we take a moment and we honor those
0: who've made the world of football a better place. What is that, Dan Radakovich? Radakovich. Dan Radakovich, an assistant coach in college and the NFL for 50 years, has passed away at the age of 84. Radakovich played center and linebacker in college at Penn State. He became an assistant coach with the Dittney Lions from 1957 to 1969. He was also an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1970s and won two Super Bowls with that team. He also spent time as an assistant coach with the San Francisco 49ers, Los Angeles Rams, Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, New York Jets, Cleveland Browns, and in college at Cincinnati, North Carolina State, and Colorado. Radakovich ended his coaching career back in college as the defensive coordinator at FCS' Robert Morris University from 1996 to 2007.
1: Yeah, get a load of that. He started his career after he, he went right from being a college player to being an assistant uh, coach on his alma mater's team, Penn State. Started in 1957, ended his career in 2007. 50
0: years of coaching. 50
1: years of coaching. Unbelievable. Uh, condolences to the family of Dan Radico-
0: uh, Radakovich.
1: Radakovich. Radakovich. Wow! Oh, well, how did I end up well, having I think, to correct you? I think when I first wrote this down the other day, it, I was saying Radikowski, but it's Radikovich. Okay.
0: Probably Radikovich. Mm. Say that real fast.
1: I'm going with Radakovich. Uh Let yeah. me know if I'm wrong. Somebody out there. All right. Uh, today's birthdays, February 25th. Tameric Vanover turns 46 today. He was a wide receiver and a kick returner out of Florida State and he had some problems in college and uh, left the school and actually went to the CFL uh, playing with the Las Vegas posse of the CFL in 1994. Uh, The following year, he was a third-round draft pick in the 1995 NFL draft by the Kansas City Chiefs. He went on to play in Kansas City from 1995 to 1999, and finally with the San Diego Chargers in 2001. And I know you've heard this story before. I actually saw him practice with the posse. I happened to be in Las Vegas and um, was there with my Air National Guard unit. We were there uh, uh, at the Nellis Air Force Base. Everybody was out to the casino, so what did I do? I went behind one of the casinos where they had a uh, practice field set up, and they had a bunch of banners and stuff, and and I got some pictures, uh, and I watched the team practice, and I actually got to watch – Tamarack Vanover, get interviewed by a local TV um, reporter uh, that day. So kind of cool. A nice memory from Las Vegas back in 1994. Uh, Another birthday today is uh, former NFL commissioner Burt Bell. He was born on this date in 1895, and he passed away in 1959 at the age of 64. Originally, he was the founder and the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles in 1933, he was commissioner of the NFL for 27 years from 1946 to 1959. I don't know if you heard about this or not, but he died of a heart attack on October 11th, 1959, while attending a Steelers Eagles game in Philadelphia. So he died during the game.
0: That math just doesn't add up for me. Uh, 1946 to 1959, that's 13 years. You said he was commissioner for 27.
1: Uh, I'm just saying. Well, I I read both, and I wrote both the numbers down. But, uh, yeah, that doesn't add up, does it?
0: No, it does not.
1: Okay. So uh, uh, maybe, anyway. <laughs> maybe you're
0: going to have to uh, fact check a little more. <sighs> Highlight that and get back to us next week. Yeah. All right. Thanks for
1: pointing that out. Uh, yeah. Yep. He was also a charter member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963. Former Commissioner Burt Bell. All right. Um, so now we're going to move on to this week's history lesson. Unless you found something on your phone, you, you've been looking at it to see. If oh no, someone... you know,
0: just Disney's you know CEO oh, stepping God. down, Bob Iger.
1: Unless he's an NFL owner, uh, I don't care.
0: I don't know. Maybe he had some football <laughs> in his past. I, don't, I have no clue.
1: Okay, uh, we're we're going to rechristen the uh, history lesson uh, as the two minute history lesson. I know they're not always two minutes. Sometimes they're more but uh
0: don't worry listeners out there i am not in favor of this reading but branding as
1: the three minute and 34 second uh What's history lesson sense no sense. football history lesson the, doesn't uh, roll off the tongue but i want to start calling it the two minute history lesson that way people know it's it's not a big long thing but it's uh it's just a quick uh, recap of something that happened in in football history so this week uh we uh we end our celebration of black history month with the story of the future president and his college teammate. In the fall of 1931, a young man from Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is located on the west side of the state, showed up on the campus of the University of Michigan to begin attending college. That same day, a young man from Detroit, on the east side of the state, also arrived on campus to begin attending college. The two men met that very first day and immediately became friends. The man from Grand Rapids was Gerald R. Ford, who would go on to become the 38th President of the United States. The man from Detroit was Willis Ward, the first African-American student ever to attend the University of Michigan. Both men played on the football team. Ford was a center, and Ward was an end. The two men even roomed together when the team went on the road. Ward also excelled at track and field. He was one of the few runners to ever beat the great Jesse Owens from Ohio State and a future Olympian in the 100-yard dash. The Michigan football team won back-to-back national championships in 1932 and 1933, but in 1934 things were not going so well for the team. They lost their first two games and were 0-2 going into a week three home game against Georgia Tech. Being from the South, Georgia Tech abided by the Jim Crow laws of the time and insisted that Michigan not play Ward in their game scheduled on October 20th. Michigan Athletic Director Fielding Yost bowed to the request and was highly criticized by fans, alumni, faculty, and in the national press. When Gerald Ford heard about the decision, he went to head coach Harry Kipke and said that if Ward did not play, he was going to quit the team. Ward eventually convinced his friend not to quit the team and to play in the game. Willis Ward was not even allowed to be in the stadium and had to listen to the game on the radio. During the game, a player on the Georgia Tech team was using racial slurs and trash-talking the Michigan players. Ford and his fellow linemen put a hit on him that was so hard the Tech player had to leave the game. Ford later told Willis Ward, that was for you. Michigan would beat Georgia Tech that day 9-2, but it was the only win of the season as the Wolverines posted a disappointing 1-7 record in 1934. Gerald Ford and Willis Ward continued to be friends for the rest of their lives. Ward became a lawyer in Detroit and eventually became a Wayne County probate judge. Prior to becoming president, Ford supported the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act while serving in Congress. Ford invited Willis Ward to visit him in the White House during his presidency, and Ward happily accepted his friend's invitation. The two men enjoyed a special reunion in the Oval Office. Willis Ward was inducted into the University of Michigan Hall of Honor in 1981. Gerald Ford had his jersey number, 48, retired by the Michigan team in 1994. The friendships that are made while playing on a football team can last a lifetime, and that was certainly true for a president and his college teammate.
0: Two things right off the bat. One, that was three minutes and 42 seconds. Oh, shut up. So calling it the two-minute history (laughs) lesson is very misleading, and I knew we were going to have this problem right off the bat. Second, Never of you all, mind. Second of mind all, mind your business, son. This is one of your few history lessons where I've actually heard the story beforehand. Mm. You've made me sit down and watch this documentary before, which yep. I remember falling asleep to back then. <laughs> and it sounds like you fell asleep watching no, it. No, I did
1: not. <laughs> this is very interesting. I, I mean, it's
0: interesting. Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, you just had to. I wish people could have seen the DVD, yes, a DVD. He had to dust off uh, mm. to watch this. In my collection, and, and you know,
1: re. It's called the familiarize
0: D- himself with the story.
1: The show is called "The Black and the Blue," and it's a documentary about this incident. And it, w- what's really neat about it is the fact that they kept they keep showing this team picture, and it shows Gerald Ford and Willis Ward standing next to each other in the team picture, right behind uh, Fielding Yost. Mm. So it's. it's it, that just goes to show you what friends they are they they stood together in the team picture and they they got along great they roomed on uh, road trips together and and uh yeah uh, this incident uh really uh, uh went a long ways towards forming the way gerald ford thought about race relations and and so he he worked uh while he was in congress to to uh pass legislation that would that would make things better Okay, that's it yeah, for the history lesson, and uh, we're going to go to our upcoming events calendar. Uh, going on now through March 2nd, it's the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, and that's all you're going to see on TV for the next uh, week or so, at least through the weekend. Yeah. Um, NFL Combine stuff. And then, let's see, February 29th, this Saturday, uh, week four of the XFL, it's going to be L.A. and uh, taking uh, traveling to New York. Both those teams are one and two. That game is going to be on NFL. Uh, ABC. That's the early game on Saturday, and on Sunday it's the one and two Seattle Dragons traveling to St. Louis, uh, who was two and one, and that game is going to be on Fox. And then on Sunday, March first, God, it's going to be March already! Wow, oh,
0: right, right wow. around the corner.
1: Yeah, uh, the three and O Houston Roughnecks uh, taking on the Dallas Renegades. That should be a two and one good game. That is to me, that's the game of the weekend. Yeah, you get the two of the best teams, both from Texas. Uh, in-state rivals, yeah, this is going to be a, a good game there in Dallas. That game is going to be on FS1. That's the early game on Sunday. And then the late game is going to be D.C. 2-1 and one, at Tampa Bay 0-3, and that game is going to be on ESPN 2. So, yeah, another good weekend of XFL games coming up. Looking out. forward to it. On March 7th, the indoor football league season is going to begin. On March 14th, a week later, the Champions Indoor Football League is going to begin. And on March 27th and 28th, it's going to be the HBCU Combine in Miami. And uh, overlapping that on the 28th and 29th of March is going to be the NFL Regional Combine in Miami. All right, so there's your upcoming events. And, uh, boy, short show this week.
0: Yeah, very short show.
1: Yep. So, okay, nothing else you saw on the phone? No, I okay.
0: think uh, we're golden, no breaking news as of right now. Okay. But as soon as we turn off the mics, we'll have something blow up like last Tuesdays week. Tuesdays are always a big
1: <laughs> a big uh, day for news from the NFL and just all over the place. It's like always comes out on Tuesday. All right, well, that's it for this week. If you learned something during this podcast about the incredible amount of diversity that exists in the world of football, and we've done our job. Visit our website at theworldoffootball.com for news, links, upcoming events, videos, and more. Our email address is info at theworldoffootball.com.
0: You can also like The World of Football on Facebook at TWOF Kalamazoo, where we post a lot of unique stories and pictures, as well as highlights from all over the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter. The address there is at TWOF Kalamazoo. New episodes of this podcast are posted Every Tuesday and are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So please subscribe, rate, review, let us know what you think, and please come be a part of the football conversation. Who wouldn't want to be
1: a part of the football conversation? Crazy people. And remember folks, some people may love football more than we do, but nobody loves more football than we do. Join us again next week when we'll review all the happenings in and around the world of football. Until then, I'm Randy Snow.
0: And stick around for a great flub from the first recording of the show today.
1: You're not gonna you're not gonna play take number one of the opening. Play
0: album. the clip.
1: See you next week, folks. Hello again, everyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that stays. No, in. no,
1: no, 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 no. We delete that.